Hey everyone, welcome to Superwomen. Today's guest is the co-founder and CEO of Madison Reed, Amy Errett. Amy's had an incredible multifaceted career that has ranged from founding and operating companies to investing in startups to also doing a ton of volunteer nonprofit leadership. Currently, Amy is the founder and CEO of Madison Reed, an omni-channel beauty brand that is challenging industry titans in the hair color space. And let me just say this, I'm not paid to say this. I am just a huge fan of the brand and consumer. I have been using her products since before COVID and then found that during COVID, that was my only lifeline to get rid of them. Sticky, sticky grace. So I love the product. Amy and I have done a bunch of giveaways and cross promotions of our brands, often at critical and pivotal times when we needed to reach new customers due to what was happening with the lockdowns. And she is everything that she says she is when it comes to support and innovation. So I can't wait for you to listen to this episode. Amy, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So let's dive in. Um, Well, first, I'm going to tell a little bit of a backstory. I discovered Madison Reed when I was looking for alternative and more healthy options for my hair dye because I kept reading. My mom kept telling me, you're going to get cancer if you dye your hair with all those toxic chemicals. So that led me to you guys. And then the pandemic hit and then I had to do my own hair, uh, dye my own hair. And I was like, okay, let's never done this, but let's get started. So uh, I was so pleased when we started talking during the pandemic and we got to uh, work together on some things. And so I'm excited that it's now come full circle and now I get to interview you on the podcast. Well, I'm super excited that you found us. We love you. We're excited that we can do something that makes you feel great and confident. Yes. Well, currently I need to look better because it's been a minute, but I have my, <laughs> ne- my next dose is coming in two days and I'll be, I'll be back to battery and feeling more youthful again. So anyways, um, so let's dive in because you have an incredible history and track record, but what led you to start at Madison Reed? And what did you walk into when you first started? So uh, it's it's a long and windy road, but uh, basically I was a venture capitalist at the time and I got super excited about a lot of the uh, investments I was seeing where people were focusing on cleaner ingredients and focusing on ways to disrupt industries that nobody was paying attention to. And through that, um, my famous story uh, is that we passed on Dollar Shave Club and I was, you know, I I wasn't the person agreeing with that 100%, but in partnerships you do, you know, you make joint decisions. And I became obsessed with what was the analog to men shaving. And uh, the repetitive usage of hair color is pretty close to that. And then I started to look at really what you just said, you know, what was happening with the ingredients, why hadn't anybody innovated, why hadn't technology been able to color match people. So I just went on a quest and figured out how we could do it. That was seven years ago. And, you know, we have, we've grown dramatically and we're really excited about where we are and we're continuing the journey. So when you when you saw that there there was a hole in the market, you know, I think what some women face when they too see a hole in the market is the extraordinary amount of expense and effort it takes to now occupy and change people's habits. So what do you think 
you guys did differently to sort of make your entry felt very quickly. Because, you know, again, as someone who was going to a salon and getting my hair dyed, and you know, one Google search, you guys came up, you know, and then I tried it and was hooked. But but how did you sort of make that inroad so quickly versus it taking, you know, 10 years, 15 years to build a brand and, and change a consumer habit? Yeah, it's a great question. We started the company with a direct-to-consumer model, and we were very focused on acquiring customers who understood the ingredient story, understood the premium nature of the product. I think that's a piece that people don't always get, that this isn't the box you buy on the shelf of Walgreens. There's nothing against that box, but that's not ours. And we knew that we could own a premium prestige space in the market. So we started the business with a very narrow focus. And I want to I want to focus on that, which is people ask me all the time, well, are you going to go into color cosmetics? Are you going to go into skincare? And the answer to all those things is no. We are want to be known for the best hair color ever. And so we were very, very disciplined and focused. We had a thousand women in a beta for six months where we were playing with what the business model should be, subscription only, purchases of one box only, a combination, which is what you do today. You can either buy a single box or you can get a subscription. And then we worked really hard on the algorithm, the 18 questions that we asked someone, which in effect emulate what a stylist would be doing while they're looking at your hair, right? A a stylist, the advantage in that is they are trained to assess your hair color that's on your hair, your natural color, which is your roots, and then your desired result. And so we do that through asking 18 questions. We had to really, you know, like, you know, pressure test that. Uh, And then we started to realize very quickly that the net promoter scores were super high. So, and we only introduced 19 shades that were PPD free at that point. Today we have 58, but this is a really important factor. A lot of times people start a business and they're trying to do everything. And we got very focused on proving this business model in direct to consumer, getting a box to her quickly getting her feedback loops, seeing what worked and what didn't work. And really, you know, we've modified a ton of things from the beginning. And that's the part that as an entrepreneur, your initial ideas are not exactly what ends up being the long and windy road to take you where you are. And so the beginning was that we just got really focused and we got a lot of people to join us who cared about ingredients. We are Leaping Bunny certified, right? Like that is really hard that there's no animal testing. We make our color in Italy where the premium nature of the formula, but it's also eight free. So like these were the things that we focused on and we tried to perfect that model. When that got perfected, which was about four years in, believe it or not, and we were scaling, I actually made a decision that it was salon quality and could we expand into hair color bars, which we've done because we're using the same product that's accessible to the consumer on a premium basis. And so we opened this little tiny pop-up in New York in the Flatiron District, and within five weeks, it was completely full. And we realized that that part of the business also needed to disrupt time. You know, we call our customer what we call the salon realist. 
This is the woman who has a lot of things going on in her life. She cares about ingredients very much, right? That, that she cares and she wants a product to speak to her about that. She cares about what a brand stands for. She cares about time because people are in and out of our hair color bar in about 75 minutes, which is dramatically less than your classic salon. She cares about convenience. She's mobile enabled. She wants to make that appointment. She wants to get in and out. And she cares about the ease and consistency of results. For instance, if Rebecca goes to our Flatiron location, with not the pop-up. Now there's a big store one block away from where the pop-up was and gets her roots done because of our technology, we know exactly what we put on your hair, Rebecca, and maybe you get a gloss as well. Well, you happen to be in San Francisco and you're like, I need my roots done. You're going to walk into one of our stores and get the same consistent result with great ingredients. So we knew that we were disrupting and offering that salon realist something very different. And that has proven to be true with 48 stores now, 51 by year end, and another 35 to 40 coming next year. So we're seeing that this ability to expose what the product is versus the product is kept in the back of the salon to give you the convenience to color your hair when you want, um, or sometimes take a box with you if you're on going on vacation or subscribe if you just want to do it at home with the same consistent results was really the key. And the ingredients are just table stakes for us. So clearly, I think from hearing you talk, you didn't rush in, you really studied your core group, you reacted to that, you optimized it before going big, which I think that sometimes, at least I meet a lot of women who want to go big right away that, you know, I felt that way. I want, I had this rush, but had I been more strategic, I just would have had a stronger foothold uh, into growing my brand versus saying yes to everything that came my way because <laughs> it sounded great. I call it focusing on the vital few versus the worthless many. I love that. And in the beginning, you do have to turn a ton of cards over. You, you must because you don't know what's going to stick. But when you find what sticks, then you do more of it and perfect it. And in our case, there's really only one thing that matters. And I, I talk to the company about this all the time. How does her hair look? That is what we're here to deliver consistently. And that has proven us well because the quality of our product is so good, really, that um, that's where it always begins and ends, in my opinion. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, products, like you can have a song and dance, but the brands that ring true are so solid on the product side that, that you know they can't, they can't get shaken. Yeah, I mean... You know, hair, hair color is one of those things you can't fake your way through it, right? The person <laughs> yeah. applies it or you go into a hair color bar and we apply it and the results are everything. So the product has to be, you know, tremendous. And we've worked really hard at making that happen. We're in Italy a lot. We're reformulating. We're offering new shades. We're making sure that we hear customer feedback. When we first launched, our box was too big. It drove people crazy. It was off-brand, right? So like these are the little things that I just try to say to people, like get that stuff right. And when you get it right and you find a niche market that everybody needs, 
then you earn the right to expand. But we're in a, another expansion mode now, right? Because we're building stores and we're, you know, in Alta and in the Alta Target stores. So like, there's just a lot going on. And I think growth also is a challenging thing, not just starting the company, but then when it starts to grow is extremely challenging. Yeah, I'd like to dig into the growth and extremely challenging because everybody obviously wants big companies. And I feel like there is this magic number that you hit and you think, you know, I naively said, oh, and we just get to 5 million in sales. It'll be so easy. (laughs) That was a joke. And I was shocked out of that experience. It only gets harder. And then when you're in growth mode, I think you hit a certain point and it can get a lot harder and and sometimes feel like you're starting over again. So what was that moment like for you? When did it hit? And what do you feel like were your core skills you applied to sort of navigate out of that? Or are you still in it? Yeah. So we're seven years in and I would say that thing has happened three times. So the first time was when, as you mentioned, you know, we kind of crossed, uh, for us, it was about a, you know, let's say $10 million hurdle where we were like, okay, we have a real business. We have subscribers, thousands of them. People like the product. We're getting a lot of inbound interest in retail. Like we were like, oh, okay, we have something. Then the next hit was 50 million where it was like a lot of people, you know, left hand, right hand was the organizational structure, right? Was the infrastructure, right? Were we investing enough in that? And then we had started stores and retail. And then when COVID hit was a explosion. Now we knew all along that some of the, some people were just coming to us because they had no alternative. The beautiful part was they came to us. Like our market share increase compared to competitors was off the charts. So all that time that this is another thing for people. There's a notion in the world that you advertise and then that day somebody buys something. And that is never true, by the way. Any of us have latent, what I call latency. So you are every day building your brand and you don't know when that consumer is going to turn to you, but they turn to you because of all of the pieces of the puzzle that they have put together. And in hair color, there's a high friction, what I call friction point. There's fear. Each of us has at least two bad hair stories, right? Like could be more. So For us, when we got to COVID and all of a sudden, you know, we were 12 Xing. We were selling a box of hair color online every five seconds for months. So we all of a sudden had inventory issues and stock issues. And how did we get hair color out of Italy in the Lombardy region? (laughs) You know, we went into kind of what I would call emergency response mode to just survive this there was good fortune and we understood that, but we also understood that if the wheels came off the bus and the back end, all those people that came to us would never forget the wheels came off the bus, right? So we worked really hard for a 12-month period to just digest this and deliver on quality, which I think we did and we've retained massive numbers of those customers. But at the same time, we only had 12 stores when we closed. We have 48 now. We've opened 36 stores in 16 months. And so now there's this next hurdle. And the hurdle is really different when you cross over the chasm of where we are because growth like this can really hurt companies Mm -hmm. because you're not prepared 
and your info. I mean, we got over 500 people now. So, you know, the, this has been a transformational moment for the company. Um, we've been working on it. We've been talking about it. And then I'd say the biggest hurdle that people have to really pay attention to is the culture. Like all the nuts and bolts of the things that I just talked about are things that you can buy systems and you can, you know, um, get your inventory right and you can work on your supply chain, you can get your boxes there faster. All those things are things you can do. But if you don't pay attention to the culture, this precious thing that you've built about why people have come to spend their time with you and grant you with their, what I would call their genius is what I call it then you have a real problem because the the people issues become uh, the blocker to the business model. And so we're squarely in that. We've invested a ton in systems. We've invested a ton in career laddering. We've invested a ton in training managers. Remember, you have people who were in jobs that maybe didn't manage anybody. And all of a sudden now there are six people under them and this is their first experience how do you train them? How do you develop them? So these are really different problems than the beginning when there's five of you or 15 of you. And mm-hmm. I think we've navigated them well, but I do want to say to your listeners that you know, paying attention to the consistency of the culture that you built the day you open your doors is critical. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I, and I I love that you touched on culture and I'd love to hear if you have any insights. I know you're in that phase right now, but any, any gleams of just wisdom from your time, whether it was, you know, in the VC world, I think that everyone's trying to figure out their culture right now as we've all experienced, you know, working from home, some in the office, you know, like how do you get a team together and what have you guys done to sort of begin that improvement if you can share? Yeah. So I will just go on record to say that I think this is the most challenging moment in leadership that I've ever experienced in my career. And I'm sure that other CEOs, founders are experiencing this because we are in a time, you know, here's my analogy. Like after 9-11, all of us needed to go through TSA and get on our airplanes differently. Changed our lives. The way we thought about security changed our lives. Like there was a global shift in a big thing about our life. This pandemic has created a global shift about how workers relate to their work, how they don't want to commute, how uh, it makes sense and is more convenient. What does an office really do? How do you keep people together on Zoom calls? Like These are very big issues. And how do you keep people safe, right? Like they're, these are basic issues. So insights to what we've done. Like we have a very community-based culture. I have lunch with the company every Wednesday. I've continued that. I have coffee with me every Friday morning at nine o'clock. I've continued with that. We have run virtual parties, virtual get-togethers. What it really takes is you have to have the cultural values, and then you have to decide to live them in a different way. We've surveyed our HQ folks. We are not back in our office yet. In fact, this week will be two days back in the office, only optional if people want it. It has required a lot of rigor, testing every day. Um, It has required us uh, paying attention to 
over-communicating. This is the time where full transparency, over-communicating, we, you're dealing with people's anxiety. You're dealing with real life fear and situations. So this has become a time where my over-communicating, the leaders in the company over-communicating, the spelling out the, the vision, the telling people on a quarterly basis, here's the five most important things. Here's how we will be measured. The telling them the board meetings and the outcome, the telling them about making sure that they understand we're not going to force them to come back into an office if they don't want to. But, the, you know, we're going to completely move space into a completely different setup. There's not going to be permanent desks. 68% of our HQ told us they don't want to be in more than two days a week. So that changes everything, right? And so, you know, we're taking a lot of steps. Um, and then we run stores where we have a whole other set of dynamics about unvaccinated, vaccinated, what's your opinion about that? Like these are complex issues and I've just never seen a time in leadership history where there is no playbook. There's not like any of us, you know, I could say, Hey, Rebecca, like, what did you do when this happened last time? (laughs) You'd be like, uh, there wasn't the last time. So the outcome of this is really, um, it's really like incredibly meaningful for how human beings interact going forward and how we conduct our lives, our own lives, which affect the way we conduct our businesses. So here's a big sea change here. And um, I'm excited about seeing how we come through it um, because, you know, the future belongs to optimists. It never belongs to pessimists. Um, and so I'm optimistic about the future. But I think all of us have to be curious about how it will shake out. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You've encapsulated, I feel, so perfectly so many of the issues facing leaders today. And it is, it is, you know, we are navigating such uncertain waters that I'm just happy to 
you know, go, okay, I'm not alone, you know? Yeah. You know, we have about 17 members who from the beginning tried to do their job over Zoom and uh, volunteered to come in and they've formed a tight knit group. And anybody that comes in the two to three days a week we ask is like not part of the club. And, you know, it's a very interesting dynamic to have people be like, well, we're here every day. Why aren't you, even though our company, you know, says two to three days a week. So it's a, um, it's a very fascinating time for, for leaders and, and people, you know, really reevaluating what they want out of their lives and how they relate to their work. You know, this is, you know, there's all these articles about the great resignation, as it's being called. Mm-hmm. And that is a lot more about, you know, it is, you know, in history, if we can let ourselves move from the position of our own kind of post-traumatic stress here to the position of curiosity, which I always try to do, the neutral curiosity, like, oh, wow, that's kind of interesting. I think that the um, this sea change for people was like everything I knew in my life stopped. I was in my house. I was afraid to see other people that I loved and cared about. I wasn't allowed to do basic things. I had to wipe down my groceries, like go down the list. You know, getting gas seemed dangerous for your car. Nobody drove their cars. Like it just, there's all these things that happened for a long time. And whenever those sea change happens, what happens is that becomes the norm of your behavior, right? You don't easily just go back to the way it was before. I think that's what we all have to understand. And there, I think, are two ways people can approach this. You can approach it from, and I've seen it work. We're like, nope, people need to come into the office. They need to be vaccinated. Here's how we're doing this. And there's a set of guardrails, and that's how people fly. And that could be very successful. People will leave. You will have massive turnover. That's okay. Um, but you need to know as a, as a leader, like, that's a stake in the ground. That's okay. That's good. In our case, we're not taking that stake in the ground. You know, we're a Silicon Valley-backed company. Our workforce in HQ has lots of choices. We love our team. We want to accommodate the hybrid approach. We haven't seen productivity go down, that's honest. And so the approach we're taking is like, we'll let you self-monitor. There are certain things you must come in for. We have management business reviews every month. If you're a vice president or a leader, you must be in that week, even if you live remotely, right? We will have quarterly events. We will have parties and celebrations. Those things are mandatory, but we're taking a very, very different approach. And I don't know if, I mean, I can't get, how do I know if it'll work? (laughs) What I know is the intent of our heart. And that's where we need to stay. Yeah. I think when they know and see that the intent is there and it's the right intent, then, you know, you get a lot of points, even if if you're like, I tried, I failed, I'm going to try again. Absolutely. Yeah. So what would you say, you know, one thing I tell founders and it's a background I didn't have, but I feel like there are so many women that start off in finance in some way, whether it's, you know, like you having worked in VC or Wall Street and they have an idea for a consumer company and because they are so well versed in numbers and finance, you know, they they have a leg up versus me. I started with a passion. I had no idea how to manage the money side and stumbled along until my brother came in who did and I was like, Great, you deal with the money. 
you know, what would you say to women who want to start things, but are intimidated by that or don't know where to start? I think that to start a business, it really, the success most of the time, in my opinion, from being an investor, still an active investor and a founder comes from the passion. And that is not talked about often, but it is comes from almost the irrational passion that a founder or founders have on a mission to accomplish something that the business represents. And when I fund things, there are kind of three things I look for. And I'll take two of the risks, but I'll never take the one risk I'm going to talk about. I look for size of the prize, so total addressable market. I've often seen people start things and they're amazing, but the market's just not big enough for venture returns. And that's an important factor here that, you know, 98% of every company in the U.S. never gets venture money. Getting venture money does, isn't a, isn't the badge of honor for success. You shouldn't take venture money if your business can't give venture returns. So the first place I always start is like, can this business get big enough to have somebody put a dollar in and get $10 back, right? So that's one. Two, uniqueness and differentiation, because I only, I only invest personally in consumer. That's where I'm passionate. But is there some uniqueness to the product? What makes it different? Is there technology? Is there product quality? Is there efficacy? Is their business model different and disruptive? And then the third and most important thing, and this is the one that I'll never trade, is the quality of the founder uh, and the quality of the team that they've assembled. That is the differentiation. Because mm-hmm. everything all of us start never end up the way it ends, right? The long and windy road is the journey. Like I didn't know in the beginning that we should have our hair color in Alta. Right? Like how would I have known that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but my point is that the long and windy road is the ability for a group of people to pay attention to what I call the pattern recognition of what's working and what's not working having the courage to face into what's not working and then create a path through that. And that just takes smart people that are dedicated. And sometimes it is what I call cautiously optimistic passion that one has that it's just resilience. It's like the world is not going to hand this to me. I'm going to earn it. Having said that, what I try to tell people all the time is like, if you want to start a business, you should. It may not be that you take venture money. It may be that you take friends and family money. It may be that in month six, you're profitable and that's great. But I believe that there's too many people who believe they should take venture money because that's what they think they should do. And that doesn't work out because of scale. And, you know, I wouldn't have come back to start a business again as a venture person unless I was sure that hair color had scale. That, that was the thing that tipped me to do this. And if there was ever proof needed, just go, I'll go back to our conversation <laughs> during COVID when exactly. you're like, we are out of stock and have nothing because every woman, even though she's not leaving her house, cannot stand looking at her hair. Well, the, the thing that, and it's similar to what you do, Rebecca, your, what you do for women is very similar, which is hair is hair. But hair represents confidence. Mm -hmm. It's emotion. 
this isn't just the box and the product and the gloves. This is that I am in control of this thing that makes me feel like I am unstoppable. When your hair looks great, it's just something that's hard to explain. Um, but it is like unleashing that, you know, badass in you. And our job at Madison Reed is to give you the convenience to unleash the badass. That's our job. And we want to deliver that. I love it. You deliver the hair and I'll deliver the leather jacket. How does that sound? Exactly. Fantastic. Your leather jackets <laughs> rock, by the way. So one thing I'd love to get from you is where do you go to refuel? How do you stay uh, as calm or as, you know, when you are at your wits end, you're out of product, you're scaling your team, you know, you're dealing with a lot as the CEO. It's also your company. Where, what do you do? So it's a great question. Um, it's been a journey. Uh, so here's, so I believe it's different for everyone, but I'll explain to you what I do and everyone can, you know, does it their own way. So the first thing is that I meditate every morning. It doesn't matter. I will get up and spend the time, short time, 10 minutes, long time, 20 minutes. But I meditate every morning because just like physical exercise, which I then do, mentally, this kind of stress and the kind of busy mind that I have and the, the stamina that you need, your mind needs that rest. And so I've learned, and when I, in the days that I can't for some reason, which can't is not a good word, I'm choosing not to for something else. Um, I don't, it, my day goes sideways. Mm -hmm. I know it. So meditation, I physically work out and I work out at least five days a week. And I have figured out how to have a Peloton tread and a Peloton bike in my house. You know, I live in between two places, Sonoma and San Francisco. And I have made sure that I have it in both because if it's here, I will use it. And that's great for me. Third thing is I have a coach and I highly recommend it to people. So I have somebody outside of Madison Reed who I can just let it rip with, as I call it. You know, here's what's going on. Here's the data dump. Here's what's happening. The key in all of this, in my opinion, to have a happy life, and it may seem like this lady's crazy, but it's really true, is gratitude, the amount of gratitude you have in life equals the amount of happiness you experience. I love that. And when we are in our stressed state, which by the way, you and I as CEOs, most of the time are in our stress state because how could we not be, right? Nothing's ever perfect. There's things coming at us. There's slacks, there's texts, there's meetings, there's a problem, <laughs> right? Um, we have a big uh, mural on the wall of HQ that we put in. And here's what it says. We get to do this. Yeah. We don't have to do this, but not many people get to go on this ride. For me, this is, I've had a lot of rides. This is the ride of my life. And I stay grounded in the fact that yes, they're static, but I choose to be an optimist and I choose to live in the gratitude of these experiences. I am not somebody who gets tripped up as much as I used to about, well, what's the outcome? People ask me that all the time. What's the outcome? 
And my response to that is, I'm sure it'll be good, but I'm in today. I want to love today. I want to just stay grounded in all the things today that I get the experience to be curious about, to help people, to change their lives, to give them great hair, to talk to somebody on his, you know, to be on someone's podcast who's tremendous. How lucky am I? How grateful. So when I stay in that space and build practices around that space, that's how I deal with my stress. And then on top of it is I have a wonderful family. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time with them. I'm intentional about that. I don't miss a dinner. I'm, you know, I've learned that these things, you can't get it back. So you choose. Yep, you do. And I think on the family front, would just love to hear your thoughts quickly on people feel they have to sacrifice. And I say, well, it's part of it. You know, you are going to be having the days where you sacrifice work or you sacrifice family. Um, you can't have it all, all, you know, we can't have that all thing, but that all thing is fake, right? That's not yes. achievable for anyone. It's never been achievable for a man, let alone a woman. So stop on the idea of believing it's a false, you know, it, you're buying into something that actually can't happen. So would, so would love to hear as you, as you mentioned your family, like how you sort of say, okay, this is, these are, I, you know, I talk about boundaries. I say, okay, you can't have it all, but you can have boundaries and you can know what you're comfortable with and uncomfortable and when to push back on, on both sides. So I am very disciplined about my agreements and my agreements are dinner and, you know, I, there's one night a week if I have something during the week, never a weekend. I don't travel on Sundays, right? I have one day a week um, where I don't check email. Ooh, what day of the week is that? Saturday. Love that. I do not check email. My phone is in another room. I tell people, if you need to get me, like, unless it's emergency, I have a second phone. That's the truth. There's like a hotline. Uh, but I don't check email it, and I have to share with you, like if your business can't live without you not checking email for a 24 hour period, you got a problem. And so to me, I just don't check emails. And I tell people like, I'm not, I'm not on, on Saturday. Don't ask me. And the relief in my soul, the rejuvenation <laughs> is unbelievable because I can get up Sunday, get my phone, bang out two hours of work. And then I have the rest of Sunday to be with my family, really be with my family. Like mm -hmm. people talk about I'm with my family, but no, I've been there. No, you're actually physically with your family, but you are not really with them. And being fully present in life is the what you get to do. Fully present, not going through the motions, but really present, feeling scared, feeling fearful, feeling happy, feeling hopeful, feeling disappointed. Like these are all the things as human beings that we go through in five minute cycles, right? And if you have kids, like I do the Madison Reed, as I, we call her, all those things will count. They will count in how she sees the world. They will count for how her parents showed up. They will count for the skills that she, my job our job as parents, in my opinion, just mine and my little family, is to prepare her for being a productive, happy person in the world. That's my job. Keeping her safe, 
but also teaching her the skill set, the ethics, the integrity, the working hard. We do not do our kids a favor by handing them everything. That is not a favor. That's a burden. You um, you touched on something, and I, and I just want to underline them. When you say it's a burden, it's true. And I think, you know, I talk about this a lot, but my mom made me work for everything I ever wanted, and I hated every second of that, but it made me, you know, who I am today, and I'm desperately trying to do the same for my kids, even though um, this generation is like, eh, I, I don't need it. Thanks, mom. Um <laughs> Yeah, but it it does it does permeate. Like I can really assure you that under the oh thanks, there is the they come back. And all of those things on a granular cellular level do seep in. So keep keep doing it because you know, uh they go off, they have their life. That's what we do, that's why we do it to give them those lives. But confusing that with handing them everything. I, I grew up in the same household, Rebecca. You know, I was a working class kid and nobody handed me anything and I had to figure it out and that's okay. And man, I am so appreciative that that's where it went, right? And yeah. But the temptation for all of us is, is to change that story with our kids, right? So yeah, I, I, don't, be- have, I don't believe I that. I have to try. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, and they, they're growing up in a different world. It's a harder world. Yeah, for sure. So my last two questions, what would we be surprised to know about you? Uh, I am a sports fanatic. Like it's almost an obsession. Wow. And this, what is, this is what everything this is. Um, this is like the other part of what I savor in my time. I'm a, a basketball fan for my alma mater, a basketball fan for the Warriors, a football fan for the Philadelphia Eagles, the San Francisco Giants fan, uh, and a San Jose Sharks fan. So you can, I tape everything. I watch it when I have minutes. I'm, it's an obsession. It makes me happy. And it's the really reason it makes me happy. I was an athlete is like team teams, everything to me. So when I see that and I can root for teams, it just really makes me happy and I'm competitive. So that's the one thing that people probably would su- be surprised. I love it. And I think competition is good. I think some people have misunderstood competition with, um, that means you got to take people out and it doesn't exactly. mean that you have to take people out. It just means that by nature, you, you have a huge desire to see what's happening, what the other person is desiring and, and win, but it doesn't mean that they have to die or be taken out or, you know, go out of business to mean you won. Yes, I am. You touch. There's something that you said that is so true, which is you can create environments where competition is very healthy because what you're trying to do is get the person to find the best of themselves, right? Exactly. Yeah. Or you can create competition where Game of Thrones and people kill each other. That's not. <laughs> that's not good. No. Um, so last one is, you know, do you have any parting wisdom that either you've learned or someone gave to you that was actually something that helped you in a moment of need? Yeah. My parting wisdom is all the things that we worry about today, six months from now, we'll find new ones. And my parting wisdom is that life's in today. And if you can really find that key to unlock the curiosity, not the anxiety, the actual curiosity. Someone taught me this, being curious about things, even problems in your life, curious, neutral, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is such a 
interesting gift to give yourself. And then the other thing I would say is somebody once said to me, what are your blind spots, Amy? And I thought, what the heck does that mean? Until I started to realize that my own self-awareness of where I do not do well, what I don't like, what I am not good at, where I, I'm human. I am, I have flaws <laughs> and, and I, and I have spent years understanding them. So if you can understand them, embrace them, actually love them about yourself. Well, there I go again, doing that stupid thing, right? Versus blaming yourself. We all have some story about ourselves and it's self-critical. And don't live in the self-critical space. Live in the space of being curious about who you are and your gifts and talents and double down on those. The things you don't do so well, don't do them. And have a sense of humor about the fact that you have idiosyncratic behaviors that are somewhat irritating. But if you can embrace them and understand them and look at them before you actually do them, wow, what a gift to give yourself. I love that. Self-awareness is so huge and so key. So with that, thank you, Amy, for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for making me feel phenomenal with my hair, (laughs) the color I was born with. Um, and thank you for everything you're, you're doing in general for, uh, for women, for business. And I just, I love that we have this relationship beyond the podcast and, uh, thank you for your time today. You are welcome. And I just want to say this, Rebecca, you are a gift and what you're doing for women and your role modeling and how much you are paying it forward is inspiring to me as well. So I feel very blessed that you're in the world. And I feel very blessed that our paths have crossed. So thank you for having me. Of course. I just wanted to thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I also want to ask you to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a pain in the butt, but it actually helps with search and algorithm. So if you love this podcast, it is an easy way to get it more visible and out there. I also want you to follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Minkoff at RM Superwomen and be sure to check out my book, Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. Thank you again and you will hear from me next week.